Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Heroin Chief Podcast. This is a new season as we wrap up this year, 2022. My name is Kenya. And I'm Z. And today we are joined by our special guest, um, Karen from the What's IGN Crushing on Pod, also known as the Crushing on Pod, the premier pop culture pod in South Africa, as far as I'm concerned. How are you doing, Karen? I'm great. So glad to be back with you guys. Yes, it's been a while. It's been a while. For mm. those of you who don't know, um, Heroin Chief is a podcast for people who used to use phone cards at school. Do you guys remember that? Like having a phone card <laughs> in your blazer? Oh my God. The phone card, then you yeah. have to make sure that you had like, uh, if you did find a public phone, you'd pray that it's not the one with the coins. So that I you could use your phone card as well. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. The struggle. The struggle. I think there's nothing more painful than, okay, cool. You've got your phone card. You found a green phone. And then the call is one rand to make, but you only have 80 cents. That is real pain. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> And then you have to do like a, a like a like a um like phone me back. What is that the thing like reverse call? A reverse call. Remember that oh when you like God. you had to remember We've really been through call. the trenches as and millennials. The, the trenches. The children. By the time please call me came, I was like, please, I've already been through it. You don't even know. Please We've call been me. Um, struggle. You have no idea. <laughs> Those are the real questions. <laughs> the message and the please call me. Oh my god, oh, I was about to say that. Like people would you it would be like, I'm so broke. <laughs> my friend would please be like, call please me call no airtime. Please call me <laughs> no airtime. <laughs> the ghetto. The ghetto. <laughs> oh my god. The absolute trenches. Okay, speaking of trenches, I don't know about you guys, but this year has felt particularly long. Like, I know other people have struggled. I've had a great year, but it has been long. Like, 2022 feels like two years. It does mm. feel like that. But then also, like, the, this time of the year, everything starts racing. So, like, it's going to be January very soon. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a bit alarming. So, like we said, we have Karen from the What's IGN, Crushing on Pod, all things TV, all things film and pop culture, so an entertainment editor extraordinaire. And we thought, okay, this is the ideal time to sit down and consolidate what was this year's best television and did we enjoy it? What has changed in television? Um, Karen, thank you so much for coming back on. We had you on here two seasons ago. Great chat about colored presence and re representation in South African television. Today is just a broad global chat about 2022 and what it's offered us. Guys, let's get right into it. There is a lot of TV and film available, you know, more than ever before. Um, but I think there's a tension between quantity and quality because it's an endless smorgasbord of, of entertainment, you know, ch channels genres um, all the types of television that exists at the moment but i think what's become a topic of conversation for this year um, at least one of the big things around how tv has changed is production and budget and turnover so 
we can all attest there's like a hundred different TV shows. Even when you're online, people are talking about 10 different TV shows and you're likely to only have watched two of the 10 that they're mentioning. I don't know if I'm the only one who has noticed that there's a decline in, pr in production value for a lot of these TV shows, right? From sound and dubbing sometimes to even wardrobe because the model of television production is changing. And I know like wardrobe seems small, but this is something that affects the, you know, the viewing experience. What are your thoughts on how TV production has changed in the past couple of years, guys? I think just like, obviously just as like a viewer and somebody who watches quite a bit of television, um, not as much as I used to because of like a lot of work and other things that I have to do. But when I do get a chance, I do watch a lot of series. I think if you think about it, the turnover of these shows has to obviously be faster now. Um, I think there's very few shows that kind of get the luxury of taking their time. Um, unless you're something really big, like let's say on HBO, you're a Game of Thrones or you're a House of Dragons or a succe succession type of show. I think the time to actually make these shows gets a lot, of, lot shorter. You would think now that we have like streaming channels and so many different ones that that makes the, the playing field wider and you'd have like more of an opportunity to get your, your pilot picked up. But I also think it actually makes it a lot more of a pressurized environment because you have to turn over these shows very quickly. And also I think because there's so much available for us to watch, it's, it's kind of like if you don't get things out fast enough, it's like the viewing public just kind of moves on. Unless you're something that's already viral that they're attached and they have loyalty to. Um, so kind of that's how I think about it. But I would imagine that, you know, there's like how many pilots that are made that never actually make it to like a, pro like a full production. And then how many of those get picked up for like a second season? I know particularly like Netflix gets a lot of flack for canceling their shows. But I honestly really think it's because of, like you said, the production of these shows and how much they actually cost. Um, so I don't know. I think, I, I think it has a lot to do with the variety that's available and like how fast you have to turn over shows for viewers. For the first time, because there's, there's such a like, uh, array of TV available, it, it, mm. it allows voices that they maybe weren't heard before to be heard. So yeah. I, I do enjoy that aspect, like of it. But, but otherwise, like, I agree with you guys, like, it, it has to, things have to land, things, there's just, you know, you don't know what to watch because there's so much on television. Mm. But, um, but I also think, like, with the streaming thing, like, I think the problem lies in if, if all the episodes are out at once, there's not enough chatter about it for, you know, for it to, to, to stay longer in the conversation where shows, I mean, shows, like, networks like HBO and, you know, you know, the, the normal, um, everyday, <laughs> I don't know what, what the right words are, like ABC and stuff. Yeah. They, because they, their shows come out weekly, they yeah. have that kind of online chatter and people talk about it every week. So I think that, that, that in the future where things are going is that they're seeing that, you know, you know, streaming makes things easier because you get your, your, your shows like on whatever device you want to, you can catch up on it at any time and you can watch whenever you want to, but it makes more sense to release shows week by week, which we see like Disney plus doing and, and other mm. new streaming networks doing. Mm. So I don't know. I think like that's where it's going in the future. Like it's like amalgamation of the two 
of the two so that you know we can we can enjoy the best of both worlds basically. So essentially we're going right back to where yeah. we came from yeah basically <laughs> but and i think that's like what technology. i think this has been a conversation for a while in that the net the netflix model the technology but like the netflix model I, I mean it works i think netflix model works otherwise they wouldn't still be around but i do think people also mm. have a, a like karen said people have an appreciation for kind of waiting for stuff as well like I, like if you have a show Sometimes it helps to like not binge watch it because you might be binge watching something and then you miss a couple of things you don't pick up or you're just trying to get to the next episode. And I think people are kind of wanting to return to what we had before where you're going to wait weekly for your episode. And, and like Karen said, it then allows the show to live longer online because now people are discussing a new episode mm. every week. I mean, that's what I'm seeing with like something like white Lotus where people are talking about it every single week because there's a new episode. Um, whereas like something that you binge, it kind of has like that week, that weekend where everybody's watching it and it's mm. intense and the conversation is like rabbit online. And then it kind of tapers off, the week after that so i definitely think people are wanting to return to what we had speaking of um things that go viral online um i think one one show and one person we're all very excited to see go from the online trenches into superstardom is quinta brunson um and albert mm. elementary so i think it's just been an exciting rise for her from you know like social media vine person into BuzzFeed content creator and then you know kind of every every 18 months excelled 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 um black lady sketch show and then got her own show with ABC <laughs> and just good quality sitcom like good sitcom is back man you know when you're watching Abbott Elementary Karen for you as 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 a writer and somebody who's also an entertainment editor um and watching somebody else who's loved television become their own tele like a great television pro producer slash writer what are your comments and thoughts well um like i think you know obviously being a fan of quinta for so long and then like every couple every year or so they would say like oh a, a new pilot is like she's been hired for a pilot to write or act in and then it doesn't come to fruition like fruition like every year mm. and then it was so great seeing the show that she created like based on her mom's experiences being a teacher in an inner city school. Um, like, just this is the one that makes it big. The one that comes from, like, her heart. And she's yeah. the producer, the writer, you know, the act, the main actor. And it's, it's just, it's really been inspiring. And, like, I, like, I, I'm a big sitcom fan. Like, I'm, been watch I'm watching Cheers all the time. I'm always watching a, a sitcom. And there's... And so, mm -hmm. and Abbott Elementary has just been like my heart. My mom was also like a teacher in Lavender Hill, and um, and she's had to like struggle with a lot of the things that I see. Like um, um, Cheryl Lee Rolfe's character, she reminds me a lot of my mom. So like, just seeing that sort of like mm. this very authentic but also sweet but also extremely funny show on television has really been like one of the highlights of my year. Abbott Elementary only came out here this year, mm. so like for me, it's been like part of my best of 2022. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. But like, just to, just to piggyback, I think that's probably why so many people resonate and connect with it is because of how authentic it is. And I think watching 
Quinta and what she's kind of done with her platform and being someone who's a writer and kind of having that social media following um, and being able to now create her own original content. And like you said, something that she, that's, she's actually lived and has ex- experience of, it just makes it that mm-hmm. much more of something that people can connect to. And I think that's why people resonate with it. But I'm also like really happy about, because a lot of the time some shows that, that are like really, really popular and everybody watches it are not really celebrated. And I'm not saying like awards and stuff are like the be end and end all because I don't think so. But I'm also really happy about the fact that it is being recognized and her and her writers and actors are being recognized by her peers. Cause I think that's also really, really important to just to see that, that they're getting mm. that achievement as well. And it's not just people watching the show, but I think it's important that they're getting those award achievements as well. So I'm really, really happy. Um, for her and I'm happy for like somebody like um like Zach Fox as well he's been like a long term like I mean he does everything he's a comedian he raps he writes he does a lot but like seeing him um get a show as well greenlit for I think it was um Peacock which is like NBC's streaming site or something um and he got his show greenlit for that I think that's really really amazing and I think we're going to see a, a lot more of people that you know we see online getting these opportunities to make original tv and i think it's great and, and even if you have a dodgy online footprint i mean jabuki was, is in a disney film you know <laughs> so it's not like it's not yeah, like that fox's digital footprint is also pretty it's also pretty gruesome so it gives us all hope uh, if you have mm. aspirations don't worry about what you tweeted 10 years ago <laughs> yeah. if, if what you've got going now is good yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then speaking of award-winning, um, mm. Hulu has had a number of award-winning uh, bio, well, award-nominated biopics. So, like the Dropout, Tommy and Pam. Um, I know the Bear is not um, a biopic, but that also got a, a, a nod. Karen, you know the controversy around how Hulu approaches making biopic stories. You know, like. Is it, do you think mm. as a journalist, it's ethical for people to not be part of their project or for people to be completely vehemently against the project and for the, the, the channel to still go through? So as an example, Tommy and Pam, Pamela Anderson was very anti this getting made and Hulu went through and made it regardless because, I mean, the story's out there, the tapes are out there. Um, the dropout, mm. I think as per usual, Elizabeth Holmes wasn't chuffed that people were, were going to make more stories about the horrific acts she um, executed through trying to um, make Theranos a thing. And then Mike, you know, Mike Tyson was vehemently against it being made because he has his own one in the pipeline. What are our thoughts around the, like, the ethics of making a biopic, um, even if it's good, without the subject's consent? You know, firstly, like, I think that the dropout and Mike is too, it's kind of separate because um, Mike Tyson, I don't know if this is controversial, but I mean, he's been quite an abusive um, husband and, you know, man. So if it's going to have his approval, it's it's always going to be a little bit sugarcoated, like we see with the crown and stuff like that. I mean, it's, yeah. it doesn't have the approval, but it's still kind of sugarcoated. Yeah. With the dropout as well, it's like, you know, I don't think Elizabeth Holmes is ever going to be okay with, with, with what people are going to say about her because she is a criminal. 
Um, mm. Tommy and Pam. I really like Tommy and Pam. I thought it was a very wild adventure. It was. It really um, was. I know that. Yeah. I was like, I know it's kind of problematic to say, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and also, as you say, the story is out there, and I, I just think that I think the controversy lies if if what you watch, if you think they are kind of taking advantage of Pamela Anderson in the same way that the media did then, if you think that what the show is doing is that. I personally didn't think so. I thought that what the show was doing was highlighting how problematic it was. But I mean, I'm sure there's other people that interpreted it as they were still kind of like, you know, making, you know, kind of seeing, you know, still being problematic towards her. I don't think there's yeah. ever. I pro- there probably would be a, a version where she'd be okay with it, but it wouldn't be as objective. Anything like you're saying, it made the commentary around how misogyny. Um, can ruin one's career because yes, she was selling sex, but with, mm. with 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 her own agency and autonomy, and that that autonomy got ripped from her through the sex tape. And you learn that you learn that um, the consequences for Tommy are mild, you know, but for her, she mm. literally loses her her career. And, and if you were like us, where you're too young to understand what's happening around you i think when that scandal broke out i was like five or six so like i didn't understand why this famous lady went from being famous to kind of nobody and this explains it this explains what what had happened to her Mm -hmm. through misogyny um and 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 um a revenge revenge porn yeah But I also think um, the issue when it comes to something like a show like like Tommy and Pam, because I've only watched a little bit of it, I never finished it. But I think I think the difficulty with with the show itself, and then her being so against it in a very very public way, coming out and saying she did not want this to happen, is you're saying that it the show is is not glorifying what ha- what's happened to her, and it is putting a spotlight on the misogyny of what happened to her. But then in a way, is it a violation of her again because she didn't approve it and because she just made it so very clear that she didn't want the story told or that she wanted to tell it herself. I think, I don't know, it's a very like, it's a slippery slope because at the end of the day, she doesn't necessarily Mm. own like the image rights for herself, which is a shame because then she would be able to have some sort of ownership when people do tell her story. But I think the show kind of got away with it because at the end of the day, it's not just about her. It's about her and Tommy and that entire incident. So it kind of made that the focal point. And even though it, the producers, you know, asked her or whoever was writing the show asked her for permission or, or told her, Hey, we're doing this show it's like she didn't really have a lot of say in it or she didn't really have a lot of power in, in stopping that. And I think that's kind of sad. I think it's going to, these kind of issues when it comes to, especially people that are still living, like Mike Tyson, like Pamela Anderson, they're never going to want those stories told unless, like you said, Karen, like they're actually maybe sh- uh, maybe sugarcoating a lot of it. Because I know if Mike Tyson would approve that show, they, they're not going to mm. show him in the light in, in the actual light of Mike Tyson in the fact that he actually is an abuser as well. Um, so I don't know. It's very, it's very difficult to, to, to like see that, but I definitely agree when it comes to stuff like the dropout, um, with Elizabeth Holmes, like she definitely shouldn't have any sort of say and like an okay in that because at the end of the day, she's a criminal. And I think that it helps to, for the truth to be out there about her. 
Absolutely. And you know what else I really enjoyed about the dropout was that the casting showed that um, you, you don't have to cast any characters as white for a story to be successful. Most of the, most of the characters mm. in the real Elizabeth Holmes mm. Theranos issue are white. And yet in, in the casting of the show, there are lots of people of color. There are trans people. And it didn't affect the story in any way, shape or form. You didn't, you, it didn't stop anything mm. in its tracks. And also there wasn't a big announcement about there being these um, diverse hires or castings for it. I think when you do, mm. it, was just proof, it was just proof that when you do things organically and you cast with um, non-bias, you can come up with a really beautiful product because I really thought it was Emmy-worthy also. No, it's Stephanie. Mm. And I get why, because apparently um, there was going to be, um, I think Jennifer Lawrence was going to do a movie about the same thing. And now she's like backed out of it because I think Amanda Siegfried did so amazing in that show. I, I mean, I, I haven't really thought she's the most amazing actress, um, but I think she did such a great job. And also before I watched the dropout, I actually watched um, the documentary of her, um, of Elizabeth Holmes, I think it was on HBO. And it's just, it's insane when you watch yeah. the documentary and then you watch the show, how much they nailed the story. It's just crazy. Speaking of HBO, obviously HBO um, has merged and been bought by the Warner Brother Corporation. The Warner Brother Corporation has had a tax scandal where they're using content as tax write-offs, um, meaning that a lot of the original and diverse programming that we were promised between 2020 and 2021 will never see the light of day. Mm. Um, it's also problematic because we're going to end up with mm. the situation that we were talking about earlier where people are trying to find the balance of what people of how people want to watch television and, but also the thing is, you know, these corporations are run by, by businessmen and who care about the bottom line. So a lot of the creativity gets tossed out the windows just to make profits. Mm. A lot of original programming won't ever see the light of day. And, and, and in a time of reboots, we really need new original content. That being said, HBO, even though they always fumble season two and three or like the last season of their big shows, this year they did a, a a good they had a good year they had um the staircase which i mm -hmm. thought was amazing with colin firth colin firth it's got has range you guys lomudi does limited series like hbo it's like four episodes about this very famous case in north carolina yep um and then winning time which i feel like had tongues wagging for two months about mm -hmm. um, Magic Johnson and the Lakers. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that thoroughly. And then there was a show called Minx, which is an HBO Max original. And it's one of the um, HBO Max shows that I think is so top tier and shows the necessity for diverse um, and different storytelling. So this is like um, a story about uh, a publication in the 70s heads, spearheaded by a woman. And it has just, you know, actors that you don't get to see very often. It's got a great storyline. The costume is amazing. And then, of course, Rapture. Rapture is Issa Rae coming back to Flex. The only HBO Max original that's gotten um, two seasons at one go. 
So we know we're going to see more of that. And I loved it because it's set in Miami. I love Miami. And then also just, you know, like now that women are running the rap game, I think it's so dope to have the show showing in real time how all of the stuff goes down. Um, but the HBO sh um, show I want us to focus on today is The White Lotus Hotel. We've all watched The White Lotus Hotel. It's in this age of binge watching series, in this age of very fast pace, it does bring something very different. The, like, the most like polished whodunit series, I feel, is White Lotus Hotel. So I don't know if you guys have watched season two, but overall, what are your feelings around The White Lotus Hotel? I'm going to start with you, Z, because I know Karen loves The White Lotus Hotel, so... <laughs> I okay I've actually watched like half of season one so I'm not as like experted as as Karen I think she like loves it but um no it's it's a great show like you said and I think I think the whole whodunit thing is kind of making a comeback in general when it comes to like pop culture lexicon or like tvs and movies because then you have something like um Glass Onion, which has just come out on Netflix again, um, or that's come back on, on Netflix like last week, I think. And that's like obviously part of a larger whodunit series. Um, I think it's a great show. And for me, I'm, when it comes to HBO, I honestly think HBO makes the best series. I, I just think there's just such a quality to their shows. Um, they might like fall off, like you said mm. in the last season, but like those first couple of seasons of any HBO show are amazing. Um, and I think White Lotus has tapped into that and, and you see it online because people like go crazy for it. And especially specifically this season, um, there's so many like viral moments and it's just such a conversation every single week on, on, online so i think it's a great show and i think it's just a testament to hbo's quality in general i am freaking obsessed <laughs> um i watched the first season um just like a little bit after everybody else so i was like i binge watched it and and i was like and i really enjoyed it because it's like this as you say like a whodunit you don't know what's happening it's really funny i think as well yeah and it has this just a group of terrible white people <laughs> doing terrible white people things and like i, I don't know there's a i have a fascination with that mm. and it was just it was just amazing to watch and then this season so i got sent screeners before the season because i'm reviewing it so i watched five episodes in one and then now i have to wait for season um, episode six and seven so i was binge watching these five episodes and i just could not stop and I was like, it was like three o'clock in the morning and I was still watching. Oh my God. And I, like, I couldn't deal. Like, and I just, I, I feel like this season is just so much more delicious. Mm. Like, number one, I really love the, the like Cypress background, but also, like, it's got a, a deals, there's a lot more sex, but also, like, it deals with corruption. Like, we just watch these people getting corrupted in real time. And, I don't know if it's the South African in me that really loves corruption stories, <laughs> but like I'm just seeing these like, like these like these innocent characters just slowly turning to the dark side just always interests me. Like for me, that's more interesting than a character that stays good all the time. Like you know, you the, the complexity of a human means that you can't see being pulled in different directions, and I think that the writing of of White Lotus really shows the this different complexities of a human yeah. and 
Mike White is brilliant. And, you know, I know a lot of, I've seen like a lot of people online being like, no, it's not good. But I'm like, I don't give mm-hmm. a shit. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm not allowed to swear. Oh, yeah, no, no, you're allowed to swear. Of course, but you I... swear. It's all good. Give <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> no, like for me, I'm like this is good storytelling. Mm. Like it's it's five episodes in, I don't know where it's going to go, and I think that that is like I have my theories. I'm like this is gonna happen, that's gonna happen, but I don't actually know. And there's nothing I love more in a TV show than than for it to be unpredictable. Yeah. Like I I want to I want to I want you to surprise me. I want there to be a twist halfway through. I want there to be something new and fresh. And I feel like White Lotus is that. I think, you know, White Lotus is just good writing. Classic, classic whodunits, slower paces. I know that, like, I was struggling with the season's pace a bit. But now that I've had time to think about it a bit, I'm like, okay, yeah, I know. This is just going back to an old style of whodunits. Proper anticipation as opposed mm. to this, like, plots um plot twist at every turn type of tv we're used to with crime mm. with crime um television lately let's just keep moving with the best of 2022 the miss marvel and wandavision the disney favorites and she hulk um, what are mm. your guys' thoughts i won't lie i'm not particularly drawn to this type of television i think mcu belongs on the big screens and um you know it's great that there's pieces of it on tv but i'm not particularly interested in it um, I know the two of you are fans. What has what has changed for MCU fans um, now that like there's more television? Mm. Just to like start off, I think the shows are really su- successful. That's the thing because you already have like obviously this huge built-in fan MCU fan base that will literally watch anything MCU. Um, so I think shows like this will, will continue to be greenlit for that very reason i on my part i haven't watched as many i've watched one division which i absolutely loved i really really think they they did such a good job with that but i just haven't been really drawn to like the other ones like you mentioned she hulk and i think moon moon knight is one as well and also miss marvel but they do have an audience and I haven't heard of like any of them having like drastic ratings so i think mcu is great in that I mean, they, they have this fan base that they'll watch anything that they make. And I think that's why they, they'll continue churning this out. But I do kind of wonder if there's like an oversaturation. Because like you said, you, you already have MCU films that are coming out like all the time. Um, and then now you have like the television shows to catch up. And now what the way they're doing it, like with everything MCU, one thing connects to another. So now you have to like watch this random TV show that you're really not that interested in, but you kind of have to watch it because it, it might be some connection to a movie that's going to come out that you have, that you will want to watch. Um, I don't know. I think, I think it's, it has its fans and it has people that really enjoy it. But I know personally for me, I'm not super invested in like, the MCU television side of things. I agree. Like, I do enjoy the fact that they can tell, like, origin stories in, mm. like, you know, six to eight episodes instead of just, like, trying to squish it all into one movie. And, you know, and it, just like comics, it allows them to tell other stories. So, like, Miss Marvel, you can tell a more, like, teeny story about a Pakistani-American girl. Yeah. And then, like, you know, Moon Knight tells a very, like, story in, like, England and Egypt about a, like Egyptian gods affected how that affected this this one guy and, and somebody with like split personality disorder 
and it's it tells very like interesting stories and i like that i was i was very much like an mcu completist like i used to watch like the abc shows like like agents of shield i've seen every episode of agents of shield i i watched all the netflix shows but and last year i was really good with like i watched one division and um falcon and the winter soldier hawkeye all of the shows last year but this year mm. it's just been too much for me mm, like mm. i could not keep up like i watched moon i, I watched moon knight was really good and i started watching miss marvel but i just did not have time to finish it mm. even though i enjoyed it i read the Mar- miss marvel comics and she was like i and she was like one of my favorite superhero characters uh, Marvel characters so I was looking forward to the series and I'm a little bit disappointed that I haven't had time to watch it mm. but as you said it is a bit difficult to keep up with everything because you know before even if you were behind in like the Netflix shows the Netflix shows kind of existed in their own little world so it was fine like that didn't affect what happened in the movie yeah and so like you didn't need to be like sort of in you could watch it when you wanted to but now it's like If you did not watch One Division, you're not going to really enjoy Doctor Strange. Exactly. The new Doctor Strange movie as much as someone who exactly, did. Exactly, yeah. And um and I'm and I'm assuming when the next Captain America movie comes out, if you didn't watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you're not going to understand yeah. that. And when the Marvel's movie comes out next year, you would have had to see Miss Marvel. Mm. And yeah, it's all kind of it's very intellectual and it's very difficult. So so yeah, it's uh, as it's like exactly what you said Z like I, I I feel the same way I'm like how do I like it's it's such by the time a movie comes out I have to catch up on like 10 different exactly. shows because <laughs> I missed some random story that connects to the movie yeah another tv streaming application that we all seem to overlook is stars and every so often stars puts out a hit TV show. So they previously had what what show was um Angela and Ghost on? A uh, uh, Power, you. sorry. Power. <laughs> we had Power. You. How dare you forget Power that. that has now like totally um gone into its own Curtis Jackson universe of like drug dealing. Yeah. I, I literally <laughs> haven't caught up with Power since season four or season five. Um but yeah. now I understand all the other characters have their own spin-offs which is crazy. But you know Nana hitting the, the way the original did. But you know so Stars's new hit TV show is P Valley. Much like Power it only comes out in the summer in between all the other big TV show rollouts. Um yeah. but I love this because once again we have gotten like uh, a a great southern classic, you know, with this You know your Queen Sugars, your first two or three seasons of True Blood, that an, an aesthetic that you cannot even say is borrowed from anywhere else, but like it's very southern, it's sexy, it's sweltering, and it's gritty and it's raw, and that's mm. how I feel about Pea Valley, you know. Um, and the story is so different, and it can it, like it makes black audiences have to confront things without being a preachy TV show about blackness. which I really yeah. love. So I hope to see P Valley get more and more seasons and I hope to see the um as all supporting it the way we have over the years. I'm a big fan. I don't know if you guys watch that. I watched I watched season 1. I loved season 1. I've been meaning to get onto yeah, I've been meaning to get onto season 2 and I have to because everyone says it's even more amazing, but like you said I just love it does have something really reminiscent of like 
true blood to it now that you mention it. Yeah, it's just there's such it's such a great story and it's it's unlike any other show on TV. I love that about it. And obviously being a black show, the characters are so so interesting and I think that it's it's like it's a testament to how good the show is that like people that wouldn't like a lot of people that I, that I that I meet that watch P Valley that I wouldn't think oh my god would actually like that show like love it and also I think it's such a it's it's such a good way for us to get representation especially when it comes to like LGBTQ characters I think the fact that one of the main one of the big main characters on the show is like a rapper who is gay and that's like a story that's mm. told so authentically I love that and I think that it's such an important piece of like media to have um that character in this in this show so I really love it I'm going to get on to season 2 but um I love the love that that P Valley is getting from it, from everywhere I agree I absolutely love P Valley I think it's one of you know it, as you said it looks beautiful the characters are great and the story is just so interesting i actually think like i've watched a lot of shows that kind of deal with with the with the pandemic and season 2 of p valley was one of the best versions of a show dealing with 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 the pandemic for me mm-hmm. like even the little things like you know spraying on hand sanitizer or like you know low murder putting on his mask to go outside and there was there was a scene where um where uncle clifford's mother or grandmother is watching a like a live stream of a funeral and i'm like oh my gosh like it was like a war flashback so i was like oh my gosh i forgot that we used to do these things and it was like literally like 2 years ago or one year ago yeah but i i really enjoy it like for for me as you said like you know it's it's the character like especially about the characters like low murder is my favorite mm. character and he's probably one of my favorite characters on any tv show i've watched this year and i was thinking about like how different he is to characters that i you know i usually gravitate towards and you know he's this he's like a rapper gangster young guy mm. who is queer but i mean that's like one aspect of him but like He's just oh I just have so much affection for this guy and like I just love him so much and I and I remember after season 1 his his song uh, the the one song he kept he kept performing that overlap Oh yeah yeah that I, I was like obsessed with that <laughs> song so much like I was playing it over and over and I was like like I missed the days when I'd watch TV and I'd hear like a song like original song that the characters perform like you know obviously like mm. empire that was like the, the OG, OG of that OG time of that. and then like that becomes my favorite song for like months afterwards so yeah like just everything about p valley is extremely good for me and i'm like it's definitely one of the best tv shows on right now yeah, i definitely. think let's um, take a look at old faithful netflix um releases this year i think the most important the two let's just focus on the two international ones that have come out recently the crown season 5 obviously we're closing in on like i think what we can call the apex of what i like to call royal family mania and i say it's the apex because this is when princess diana is the most photographed woman in the world pre google pre pre social so this is like a big deal there are literally hundreds of thousands of photographers all over the world running around looking for a picture of princess diana to sell for exorbitant amounts of money 
people in England themselves are starting to question the necessity of the crown publicly and public perception of the Queen and Prince Charles are changing at this time. And, and also, most importantly, politically, is Tony Blair and the entrance of Labour. And Labour hadn't been a presence in, in, like in, in, in ruling parliament or ruling government in the UK for something like three decades at that point, for 30 years or something. So this is just a very interesting time in, in England, right, that they're covering. Mm. First things first, what did we think about the casting? Um, <laughs> so I thought, I think this is one of those, I think this is one of those, especially for a show, one of like the most kind of like viral castings before you even see like a second of the season. Um, so I think the main actress, um, Elizabeth, I forgot her surname now. Um, I'm going to think. Yes, Elizabeth Debicki. So when she was cast, um, it was like huge because obviously like they've got pictures of her on set and she really, really does look like Diana. Like, like, like a ringer for Diana in a lot of scenes and a lot of like um, outfits and stuff like that. They, they cast her really, really well. But having like actually watched the show and I know this is very, very picky on my part. I kind of think she's too tall. Like there's scenes where I'm watching her and like she'll be like standing with Charles and like obviously the, the, the camera and the angles try to make it like not that obvious. But like because she's like so much taller than uh, than him, it just like kind of made it obvious but i think overall the crowns has always been good at casting like that's the one thing one of the things that's so brilliant about the show is how carefully they cast um, the characters but yeah that's like the one thing but i will say that i haven't really seen that much discussion about this season as i did the last i, I don't know maybe it's just me and i'm not paying that much attention on, on social i just haven't really seen like that much discussion i think the show had a lot more discussion when it was like in production and we were seeing pictures on set than the actual like when the seasons come out comes out and people are watching the episode i haven't seen that much discussion i don't know if it's just me well also I thought that too, but then I had to go manually go find the conversations because the algorithms on Twitter had changed so much during that period. Oh, maybe. So that period overlapped with mask um, purchasing. Maybe that. Um, and so the conversation got drowned out quite a bit. And also the algorithms changed because, as we all know, um, whole engineering teams walked out. So um, <laughs> that was actually a contributing factor, I believe. Mm. Karen, what are your thoughts? So I, I don't know, I, I did like Elizabeth Debicki. I was very, um, other than her, I was like very skeptical about all the other casts. Mm. But I think that the, the um, Amelda Staunton did the Queen really yes. well. Yes, oh like, my God, Amelda Staunton, me. I forgot she was even in Harry Potter because, wow. Yo, she was just, she just like soft, like I always see her as this kind of like strictish person and she just softened up so much in this role and I was like, she did amazingly. And then Jonathan Price is Prince Philip. Like, I was so anti that because I thought Prince Philip, like, he's like, he's like tall and he was a relatively good looking old man. Like, I mean, I'm not saying he was hot. I'm just saying, mm. like, he wasn't bad. <laughs> but, but, um, but like, Jonathan Price is an old man looking. But then he was so yeah. charming in the role and he kind of like, he had kind of that gravitas that Prince Philip had. So I thought that, you know, mm. I, I came around to him. And then Dominic Cooper, that shit messed me up because I was like, number one, he looks nothing like him. Number two, he didn't even Josh O'Connor last. But oh, you mean like, Dominic? Like, he had the voice. He had the manner. Mm. 
Dominic West. Why did I say Dominic Cooper? <laughs> yeah. Dominic West. You're right. <laughs> Where he had like, yeah, he didn't like, he had the same mannerisms and Josh O'Connor, like, yeah. and the, like the voice, but Dominic West did none of that. Mm. I have this like, this theory that that was intentional because they wanted us to like, kind of divorce the real Prince Charles from the character so that we wouldn't hate him more, even though I thought they were like very sympathetic to him. So like, because he doesn't look like Prince Charles and he doesn't like, and he doesn't act like him and he doesn't speak like him, you know, it's easy for us to see him as like a, like as a fictional character. Whereas, you know, if we had yeah. like the Joshua Connor version, we would hate him because like last season, Charles and Camilla had to like close the Instagram comments on their Instagram because people were just like spewing hate at them. And now it's like, meh, you know, they were yeah. star-crossed lovers. Like, Yeah. Oh God, I, was, I, was, I hate I that. Happy. I think, see, that that is that is like why I think it's like it is so important to cast the right person because I think Charles got off like very nicely this season because of that because it's someone a lot more attractive than him and like you said because they're kind of making this romance between him and Camilla like some sort of thing that you're kind of secretly supposed to be rooting for when it's actually they're full of shit um but like yeah like you said like it, for me i think mm. i think dominic west did well but i just i don't think that he was like the right person it wasn't like horrible but i just think it wasn't as spot on as the josh josh o'connor casting yeah i mean mm. i think i'm inclined to agree that it was on purpose because you, you, you can't tell me that they couldn't find someone else or for josh mm. o'connor to continue this was like an intentional kind of sanitizing i mean but also like you know um i don't think it's done much for his perception old 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 prince charles if i'm honest you know peter also we have to remember peter morgan himself is british and is also an a a cbe you know he is he is also a a awarded order of the british empire so those people upper echelon people have relationships to maintain although for the most part i will say firstly the crown is based on a true story but if it was completely accurate i think it would be dead ass boring these people are nowhere near as interesting as we'd like to make them out to be one two it's like people whose whole thing is to have this particular curated image for people to just have readily available transcripts of their conversations at all times are you insane so I think he must draw from his own imagination and I think he does well I think also people wanting too much representation listen the, 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 this season the best episode of the season and I'm not going to argue with anybody or their mother the best episode was the <laughs> Muhammad um, Al-Fayed and Dodi Al-Fayed episode that deserves its own mini film oh no that was brilliant um, yeah. I don't think mm. it, yeah that deserves its own mini film but you know people often complain about things like representation I don't know if I personally want black people working in the palace. It doesn't sound like a great place to be. Like even a like a, a, a fair skinned GHD honey said it's not nice in there. So you <laughs> want other people to go in there and have a bad time? I don't think so. You also can't have every story involve us. I don't think every story needs to involve us if we weren't there. Um, I think this particular episode was awesome, but people are complaining about like they don't see stuff in the palace who are black. News flaps, there is no staff <laughs> in the palace who are black. There's literally been four. 
Laugh. <laughs> oh my goodness. You can't want representation. Better wait a couple of years. Way, you know what I mean? Mm. The Dominic West thing is the only fault I found. Elizabeth Debicki's under eye um, Diana impression is crazy. Um, and I think, as per usual, everyone else casting wise is amazing. Yeah. Um, another thing that Netflix does really well, other than The Crown, um, is reality TV dating shows. But I have to withdraw that statement. I know that like there's like a slew of dating shows that we all love on Netflix. But I take after season three of Love Is Blind, I think they really need to review that particular social experiment. Um, I know you guys haven't caught up on season three yet. I have, but you have, all right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, either way, the first season is great for 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 like that 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 major couple, that interracial couple everybody loves. Um, mm-hmm. Forgot their names. I think it's like Natalie and Cameron or something. And yeah, seasons subsequent to that have occurred because people have seen like like that it's possible to become famous to find someone that you can marry and stay married to so some people go in there hopeful but most people go in there with like terrible intentions and i just from this last season feel like nick lachey and vanessa lachey are not responsible tv producers specifically for what they're trying to achieve here like when i think about married at first sight do i agree with the concept no but they do have you know a psychologist and other mental health resources on hand. Mm. They do have like this quote unquote thought out process that I don't think is entirely thought out, but there's a sense of care. Whereas Love is Blind is like, you know, these people are filming these pods for like 12 to 4 to 16 hours a day um, under bright, harsh lights. And they're trying to cram in what most people try and do over a period of a year in like the period of one week or less. Mm. Um, Mm. And these people are drinking and there's no mental health resources on hand. And anyway, in the end, I think you come up with a lot of issues, which is what I think season two and especially season three has shown us. You You bring people together who have exasperated issues. And I think it's irresponsible television. Um... Those I kind of, I mean, okay, I kind of, speaking as like a fan, um, I've been watching since season one. I loved season one. I was a bit iffy about season two. Wasn't sure if I was going to watch season three, but I did start watching it. And then I ended up being like obsessed with that one as well. Um, just speaking as like, just like the whole concept of the show. So I, for me, I it, maybe it's because I just don't take the show that seriously. Like, I really don't think a lot of these people are actually falling in love. I think it there's a lot that goes in it. Like you said, they're being filmed like how many hours a day? Um, I I recently like read something about like the producers apparently like just like constantly giving them alcohol, which I think that is just a red flag as well. Like the fact that they drink a lot in these mm. pods um, and on the show itself. And you don't like any, any scene in that show, they, they're always holding those like gold wine glasses and apparently they're just like pumping them with alcohol all the time. So that's obviously a red flag. Um, but yeah, like you said, like there's no, there's no like, 
doesn't seem to be any sort of like um, support for these people psychologically for what they're going through. And then also like, are people there for the right reasons? And I think the scandal for this season is between, um, I think his name is SK, this Nigerian guy and Raven, um, this girl. And they, they don't end up married, but they still were like in a relationship after the show. And then about a week after the show ended, he ends up being exposed by a girlfriend apparently he had a girlfriend throughout the entire show and he was just basically just like using the show for clout basically so to me i don't know i, I kind of i do enjoy the show but i do understand like people are going to start like side eyeing the producers and asking these questions because it does look like they don't they don't really care about like the well-being of the contestants it's just all about like let's try and make the best show that we can which is it's like ethically that's a bit iffy Mm. Um, but something that they do get right at Netflix, especially Netflix South Africa, is South African representation. Karen, speak to us about the impact of shows like Blood and Water, those series, like the How to Ruin Christmas series. As a South African in America, I get so proud when people stop and ask me about the authenticity um, and genuineness of these shows, which shows that they're quite impactful as an entertainment editor and a writer, what are your thoughts? And a South African, what are your thoughts on work Netflix SA has done with shows like Blood and Water and the How to Ruin Christmas series? I think that, like, especially with Blood and Water, there's been, for the first time, it's great to see international, like, people being able internationally see South African shows because most of the South African shows aren't shown internationally. You know, maybe some on, like, BBC and stuff, but, like, yeah, for the first time, it's, like, people are watching it, people are enjoying it. And Blood and Water especially has this kind of, um, this kind of viral factor to it. Like, it's, it's, it's obviously a teen show and it's very, um, it's very well produced. It has, like, upbeat music it has like everybody is dressed well um i'm gonna say the acting is not the best but i like i'm the type of person that i believe acting can get better so you can learn to become a better <laughs> actor so I, I have a great faith in these like very attractive cars that they can learn to get better um but like it also has quite like because it has the whole mystery storyline very like pretty little liars type so it's so it's so people are, are like constantly watching to get to the end so you know that's my my view of blood and water and then how to ruin christmas is such a freaking funny show like it's definitely i i actually think like i was asked by somebody this year what my favorite south african show is and i i 100 percent think it's like how to ruin the how to ruin christmas series because I've seen people like all throughout South Africa watch the show and love it, like different age groups, different races, different religions. And there's something very, the humor is very South African. So it's like, it's funny, but it's also like that kind of funny, which like, you know, we get. So like, I feel like mm. it's one of the best written South African shows and and it's just, and it's, I mean, it's all like, it's like three episodes, season one, four episodes, season two. I haven't seen, the new season is coming out next week and I haven't seen it yet. You know, it's just, I, I'm very proud of what I'm seeing South African television do. It's getting a lot better. I, mean, I don't think it's, you know, it's like at the, 
at the level of 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 a lot of international channels like you know obviously the US and the UK and and like Korea and that sort of thing but it's getting there and with every new show you see improvements and because there's because of the all these streaming networks are coming into Africa um obviously Netflix has been doing good work for so while, for so long and obviously Showmax is starting to jump in and trying to get and all the DSTV channels but also Amazon Amazon Prime and and Disney Plus is investing in South African like um content now. So we're getting more and more things. So it's more and more opportunities for people to tell their stories, but also more and more opportunities for people to you know to get better. Oh wait, another South African Netflix show that I really enjoyed was Savage Beauty. I don't know if you guys saw it. Oh, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen um, it, but I've been meaning to see it as well. It's like it's like this, it's very much like a telenovela type, but it's like a telenovela in like six episodes but it's just a, it's like it's as I said, like I like shows that are like very delicious so it's very delicious it's got like a lot of scandal a lot of like <gasps> and it's very very dramatic and um it's got like it reminds me a lot of like dynasty mm, oh my god like okay well, i don't even and what <laughs> <laughs> are we even old enough it's like it's well there's a new one now um Kenya is <laughs> a there's there's a reboot of of Dynasty. Oh okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Now. I was very confused. But <laughs> <laughs> but also the old one. Um, <laughs> like it's like that kind of over dramatic storytelling, and it's a lot of fun. So uh, that was one of my favorite South African shows of this year. Um, yeah. So Sa- Savage, like for me, Savage Beauty and How to Ruin Christmas, like gems that are brilliant. Um, Blood and Water is a lot more like the like a like a viral show like a show that everyone's talking about that you know very entertaining um but yes i'm very excited to see what south african tv will do next now that you know they have all these opportunities mm. yeah I, i i look forward to that i i'm i must say that like it opens the door up for a lot of creativity and different methods of storytelling in south africa and i think that'll change how we do our telenovela style um d- dramas also on um local television. Guys, thank you so much mm. for putting this together. This was fun. If you want to hear more of Karen's takes on um entertainment and media, um you can listen to her podcast, the What's IGN Crushing on podcast. So you can either visit her website um www.crushingonpodcast.com Um, also follow them on Twitter, Crushing on Pod, and the same on Instagram, Crushing on Pod, and wherever else you get your um, podcasts from, that's where she will be. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, well, Heroin Cheek Podcast, Heroin Cheek Podcast. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this far, feel free to email us at heroinecheekpodcast at gmail.com with any questions or suggestions. And um, share, share, share. Thank you so much. Cheers.